Um, hi, I'm Jared Schiller. I'm an independent uh, video producer and I specialise in art mainly. Um, I was just wondering, because another thing that we haven't really heard about, we've heard about BBC and the Arts Council at the top and then the arts organisations underneath them. But what about um, the artists themselves and bringing artists along on this journey? How do you, uh, how will this impact on, on them and what their role is? Um, what, are, what will be their sort of challenges? Good question, Jared. Jane. I think it's about platforms. I think it's about um, the need for centralised infrastructure. I think that the kind of things that we do around event aggregation, you could do, um, and I know that there are people already doing it around how you do similar sorts of things to support artist work, present artist work. Um, and it's around the, you know, having the right platform that fits the needs of, of the different kinds of artists working in different ways that's flexible enough and low-cost enough and accessible and blah, blah, blah. And there's a couple. There was, there's a, I can't... Does anyone... Um, there's a new one that I've just seen that's in development um, that's all around, you know, showcasing this, that and the other. And, you know. but how, how does, Rody, how does, how does, you know, the BBC, which is a, a big place, how does the BBC connect with... An individual artist is—is is there is there a way in, or does it always have to be mediated through a, through a, through another bigger partner? Well, I think, um, I mean, in a way, BBC in the round is is dealing with artists of a certain kind almost every hour of the day. I mean, the writers, musicians, just people coming up with ideas and telling stories and so on. Um, and in a way, part of the conversation I think today is about how broadcasters generally use the connectiveness of digital to enfranchise a rather wider group of artists in different ways. And in a way, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer here. That's why you need a diversity of intermediaries and organisations getting sensitive to digital, because I can't tell you how one particular artist would want to exploit the platforms. I think, but I think we have to, to a degree, trust that we're coming into a generation of artists who probably aren't so much digital artists and the old kind of video artists, but just grown up in the age of Twitter and connected media and so on, feel that it's a natural part of their life. And as long as we're as open as we can be as institutions, then I think a lot of the push will come from them. They'll be telling us how to use it. Okay. Yep. The guy there on the edge of the... Hi, Scott from Exhibit Me. We're um, developing a web platform that's, I think Jane was alluding to earlier, hopefully. It's uh, basically showcasing and um, project fundraising for artists. And uh, um, certainly, as the artist, uh, the video man mentioned before, um, certainly looking at individual artists, it's about creating a platform for them um, to do those sort of things. Uh, the main issue or point I wanted to raise today was it was all sort of very well empowering um, the artists and the arts organisations to produce this content, but then what do they do with it? What's the kind of end product for it? And also the sort of pitfalls legally and that other IP word, intellectual property, um, you know, th th these are quite big, big scary things for an individual artist to worry about. I just wondered if the panel had any thoughts on that. Well, I think intellectual property is a really big issue which hasn't been particularly discussed. Tom, do you have a view? Um, I just go back to the point about confidence, really. I, I think that, that there have been lots of, of projects that focus, for example, on, on what you might call legal literacy, on, on enabling artists to actually make decisions. I think that there's, there's 
an enormous amount of information that has been absent from the decision-making process, so artists looking to um, not just sell their work, just, just to present their work with different, on different platforms haven't had the confidence because of rights issues or because of a sense that they're, 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 they're losing ownership of it one way or another to, to caricature a moment in an artist's But is, is your view that the current rights setup is fit for purpose? Go, go back to the Gallagher review from a couple of years ago, and it went, went through this process in great detail. I, think it's, I don't think it's ever fit for purpose because, because the technology and the relationship to the technology will always change, and the context of production and consumption will always shift. I think that, that we need to find a position where artists can be more comfortable and confident in, in, in working in a more public way to reach different audiences through different, in, through different ways, whether it's monetizing their work or whether it's just getting their art out there. And I think there's a responsibility for the organizations to work with them to do that, and ultimately for, uh, for organizations like the Arts Council to provide an environment where artists feel much more confident about being able to make decisions about the implications of their, of their work. And I think it's the confidence rather than the, the legit, litigious um, issues that are the most um, pertinent here. Okay. Okay, the guy on the... Yeah, red shirt. It's Mike Stubbs from FRACT in Liverpool. Um, whilst, of course, FRACT continues to develop its experimental work through FRACT TV and Art Player and so on, uh, which is about enabling other people to do loads of stuff and collaborate and all the stuff we've talked about all day, um, we must not forget two fantastic examples. One, of course, is Amsterdam. If you think back to the late 70s and 80s, where... There were like at one point 50 artist cable TV stations, where basically artists had to set up their own platforms. Um, there were no censorship restrictions, which I know is something which Lois might want to pick up. Um, and then, of course, one of the hottest artists last year across any art form was Ryan Tricartin, who's you know actually managed to do a lot of work online and had about nine million views across the year without any of our help. Um, so the sensitivities that, that are being referred to here, the artists actually don't need enabling. They know how to do it themselves, actually. It, we need them more than they need us. That was a, yeah, okay, very good. Is that it? No question, Mike. Thank you very much. Could I just, could I just pick, pick up on, just follow up very quickly on what Mike was saying, Lois Keaton. Who, who are you? I can't even I'm see here, you. I'm here, and the person in front of Mike who he just referred to, because he... Oh, well, can you say who you are? I'm Lois Keaton from the Live Art Development Agency. And it was just to really reiterate what Mike was saying in, in the sense of um, uh, the way the artists are working and to think about digital capacity in relation to sort of context and particularly around questions of cultural value and sensitivity. And there was a fantastic precedent for, for these type of collaborations uh, between the Arts Council and the BBC a few years ago called Shooting Live Art. I don't know if it was a Roly Keating initiative. Um, and it was a really great initiative because it was commissioning artists to make content for the BBC website, um, performance artists. Um, but what was interesting in that process, of course, was quite a lot of the work was problematic um, because it was sort of challenging, difficult ideas. So it raised a whole bunch of issues around censorship, which I do think if we're looking at radical contemporary arts practice within these debates is something we have to take on board. Rowley, no doubt that's in the archive somewhere. Uh, that works. Yeah. Um, what's your view on the issue of censorship and freedom of speech within the context of people who want to maybe push the boundaries of somewhere like the BBC? Well, I think we're, we're, the whole media industry is on a journey, but I think as a, as a publicly owned and regulated broadcaster, the BBC is always going to have boundaries. Uh, that's right and proper. I, I, I hope our track record shows that you know, we don't always err on the conservative side of the line. I was involved in 
ensuring that Jerry Springer, the opera, was broadcast you know, to, to the nation and so on. So where, um, y- y- there will always be uh, a disposition as a broadcaster to broadcast, but nonetheless, beyond that, if you look across the World Wide Web, there is a load of content that would and probably should never make it to a publicly funded screen, but nonetheless, uh, we live in a much more open and connected media landscape where I think, just to build on the points that have just been made, in a sense, who needs who here? Um, we're trying to ensure that, the, if you like, the, the, the organised, purpose-driven cultural space grows effectively here and organises itself well. But it will meet coming the other way, all manner of creative energies as well. Uh, and there's a lot of creativity that just will happen in the digital space that probably won't worry too much about intellectual property issues, for instance, and probably won't worry so much uh, uh, about boundaries. That's, in a sense, for them to do, but it's probably not the focus of the, of the discussion we're having today. Um, I just want to ask Tom a question. In his talk, he, he briefly mentioned this idea of a skills gap, but I don't think you identified Sorry, it. Sorry, I... And I think it'd be quite interesting to know, given this, the nature of this partnership, where you, from your external perspective, see the shortage of skills within the arts sector when it comes to digital? Crikey. Um... I suppose, to be very, to, to, to really simplify, I think, I think there are different types of skills gaps. I think that there are skills gaps in terms of um, understanding the potential that digital offers, understanding what it can do in terms of changing your business models, um, in terms of creating different kinds of value through, through your practice, whether you're an individual or an organisation. Um, I think that there are technical skills gaps, of course, um, and um, there will always be issues around how you bridge those skills gap as technology changes. And that start, slightly relates to my point about the, the sense that there's a digital imperative in that um, it's, it, there's, it's always, arts organisations will always, to some extent, be behind the curve in terms of um, the, the, their ability to, to invest in, in, in technology that is, is, um, is, is of the moment. Um, I think that there are legal skill, skills issues, which we mentioned, just to, and, and it does relate, of course, to confidence, but just in terms of how you, um, how you leverage different kinds of value from your content and from your experiences, what the business models for that are, um, how you monetize, or, and, uh, but actually there, there are cultural issues there in terms of when you monetize as, as much as um, how you monetize or, or should you monetize. So legal, commercial, and technical. That's quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. Okay, at least. Something? Sorry, Jane, go on. Thinking about some of the comments, there's, 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 a, there's a really messy thing around whether you're talking about artists or arts venues um, that, you, that you, you can't apply the same things to. I mean, there are loads of, Mike's quite right, there are loads of artists who don't want a trusted brand to which, under which they will gather. I mean, that's just not what it's about. But there are a lot of, art, lot of people who want information about venues and artists and what's happening and that kind of stuff. Or they might want to know what's on or they might want to engage in conversations around objects or something that's very different from an artist-led creative agenda and the the arts council's obviously remit is in both of those areas and that the, the digital capacity bit is very different i think and the kinds of platforms will be nece- necessarily serve different purposes although so so, you, so so the point being the point being that that you can't have there's a, oh, there isn't one solution that fits all and that you need to kind of think around the platforms that are going to support you know back to the point i was trying to make about who is who is it for and what are you trying to do and that question goes as much to the bbc and the arts council around this project 
specifically which types of arts organizations is this program for and which organ which types of artists because there's loads you know there's loads that will just want someone to help them sell their work you know and they can go on culture label but there might be other people who don't want who is not if they're not making things to sell it's a conceptual thing you know so it's the right platform for the right thing and and, and segmenting at the kind of strategic level of this program what you're actually trying to do okay thank you yep guy with a hand up and white shirt Thanks. It's John Pretty. I'm relationship manager for creative and digital uh, in the southeast for the Arts Council. I just wanted to make the point that we've been talking about uh, individual artists. We've been talking about relationship making between artists, BBC, Arts Council, digital and whatever, and introducing organisations. One of the great recent byproducts of the Arts Council's restructuring has been the establishment of a network of digital and creative economy relationship managers in every part of England, five of whom are here today. We'll probably come and find you. We're here to help make those relationships and to be the layer between people like Jane, people like uh, Motti Rotti, people like, you know, we are here as the layer in the middle to help this process happen. So come and talk to us, we'll come and talk to you. But it's an important part of what we're talking about here today. There is a layer, which is an arts council, uh, product of the new restructuring, and hopefully we'll be able to make a difference to this relationship-making process. Okay, thank you. Lady here with the black top on. Hi, I'm Stacey Coyne from the Bush Theatre, and I manage bushgreen.org, which is our digital platform for playwrights to collaborate and submit their work to be considered for production at the Bush. And I was really pleased to hear Jane mention evaluation, because there are a lot of existing resources for digital strategy or development, but I think there's a lack of best practices in how to evaluate the kind of work that we're doing, and I'm wondering how this program will serve us not only in, in kind of qualitative analytics analysis, but creating tailored, individualized, um, qualitative uh, uh, reports on how we're succeeding or how we're failing. What, what would be your criteria for success and failure? For my website, I don't just want to know unique site visits, but I want to know how many playwrights have met a producer through my site and had a staged reading, or I want to know how many uh, actors have gone on my site, read a play, and found a monologue for which they can audition with, things that are much more individual to my organization and, and not something that Google Analytics can provide me with. Kingsley, you talked a lot about sort of the promotional aspects of this, but do you do any of that sort of qualitative... Um, evaluation? Um, to be honest with you, not much, but I mean, I think that's because we're clear about the role our site fills. We have another site, London Dance, which is a news information site, and I have to be very clear about the reasons why both those sites exist. One is about information for the entire dance sector, the other one is very much promoting what we do. And I think, going back to the thing, you know, we had to make a very clear decision of what our aims were and then come up with a sense. So my evaluation for the Saddler's Wells site is based on the idea of the traffic we get, the sales we get, you know, how people move through, taking risks, trying new work. And that, if I get people looking at things and trying things, then that's a good thing. For London Dance, it's actually more about a space where I'm judging on the... Um, 
how people are using the site to engage with darts who've never engaged before, um, trying to bring on people who are crit critics. We're very keen on developing critics, so we're doing a whole thing. And the evaluation will be how many of our critics you know, who work with us then go on to have work published elsewhere. And I think it's very important that within each area of the site, there's a clear understanding of what it's for. And the same thing applies to why you use Twitter and why you use Facebook. I had this thing where someone said to me, oh, put our Twitter feed on the, main, on the, web, on the, um, on the homepage. And I'm like going, no, that's not what it's there for. I don't want to show it off there. I want to use it specifically for its purpose. And I think that brings back to what was being said earlier about when I go to a lot of these talks about digital, it's interesting because sometimes I go to them and I'm surrounded by people who are in marketing. And other times I'm surrounded by people who are artists. And it is a huge gap between, you know, those, you know and, and what artists want from it is a very different thing to what the marketing people want. And I think, again, understanding where your position is and actually understanding that, you know, for artist issues like, uh, you know, the rights issues are so important, they have to be worked out, how they actually, you know, work with the, the means they're judging success uh, are very different to maybe an organisation which is just looking to drive sales to a live event. Okay. Um. There. I just wanted to ask, um, it feels a little bit like some of like, the direction which this digital capacity is going to take arts organisations in is to enable them to produce audiovisual content um, around and about their artworks and distribute that in new ways. And I just wanted to ask whether there was also an intention to build digital capacity to participate, to socialise and to play. Um, Jane. Well, if I was running it, it would. <laughs> so, I'm not, so I can't answer You're, You have a powerful voice in this community. Oh, come on. <laughs> We're not even funded at the moment properly. I don't know. I think that, the, from what I understand, uh, this is the beginning, and they seem to be focusing on that now. They seem, I, would have, I got the feeling from listening to the panel earlier that there's a genuine listening going on, and if that's what's coming back, then that might be the next wave, whether it goes into the... I mean, there's only five, isn't there? Yeah, I was going to say... You know, I mean, it, you, yeah, how much can you do with five, really? So, really it's gone. a start. Uh, well, the best I can... I mean, in a sense, I, I, I shouldn't speak on behalf of the Academy and, and, and Anne and Eddie and, and others are here, but it, it's absolutely clear that one of the purposes of having today's event is not just celebratory, it is actually also listening and having a dialogue and, and trying to think where the emphases of this partnership should be. Uh, and though limited capacity, limited number of events, and you have to start somewhere, uh, that as a challenge is one we certainly live every day when we're thinking about our own digital strategy. Are we empowering and enabling and allowing people enough scope to do the participatory side of digital as well as just acting like a, a broadcaster. And it'd be quite wrong if we don't address that head on uh, in this project, I think. Anthony. Thanks, Anthony Sargent, the Sage Gateshead, it's at National Music Centre in the north of England. Can I go back to Kingsley's point about where um, departmentally these things sit? Because it is an important question. For big institutions, it's an important question. Uh, does it sit in marketing, does it sit in programming and so on? The solution we've found is that it sits under me as chief executive because the, the key thing isn't what happens in individual departments. The really key win is how it all connects up across the organisation as a whole. And I think only the chief executive can lead it. But the question is for the panel, 
actually, this is a transitional phase, isn't it? Because in five years' time, digital is simply going to be part of the bloodstream of everybody working in this industry. And we're never going to have discussions about what department does it sit in. So what we're managing at the moment is a transition. So what, sorry, Anthony, just, can I get, what's a specific question? Is there a specific question? Well, do, do you agree that the whole debate about where in the company digital leadership sits is a transitional question, and in five years' time, it'll be so central to the bloodstream of everything we do, it will no longer be an issue of where in the company sorry, it sits. thank you. Tom? Um, I, I would challenge that digital leadership sits within the organisation. <coughs> to, uh, to be fair, I think the leadership um, sits with the audience, and the audience says... And uh, the smarter organisations obviously build much more open um, interrelationships with their audiences and, and find ways to, 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 to build, build that relationship, build that conversation, which actually relating to the previous question is about doing stuff as much as, as, as presenting stuff. And it's doing things with rather than for and all of that kind of Charlie Ledbetter language that, that we often use a, 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 very good across the arts. It, it is indeed. And, and so I, th I think that's the, the, the most open and porous and connected and collaborative organisations will solve that, that um, issue around which department, de department does what quite quickly and some of them already to some extent have. Um, but I think that there are challenges for the smaller organisations because it's not about departments as such, it's about individuals who are multitasking um, across different agendas and that, and that creates real, real pressures. So the opportunity exists for, that, for, this, for those organisations to work as part of an ecology with those larger organisations so knowledge, knowledge is exchanged, platforms are shared, etc. You support, Jane, a lot of, a lot of smaller organisations to get their content out there. What's your response to, to that question? Um, mm. I, I, I agree. I, I think that you, the future is, is around listening to the, who, what the audiences want. And if, the, if, you're not, if you can't hear them, then you're not listening in the right place. Um, the, the real challenge with the smaller ones is about the multitasking. But it, I agree, it's totally about transition. It, the, the generation of people who are not digitally literate will have moved on and retired and there will be a new generation of people who are more digitally literate. And, and the, the, those leaders people who are running small organisations who know that they don't know how to rearrange their iTunes from alphabetical to not. He's clearly got a lot of people around him who are telling him how to do it. You know, you just go and ask somebody, who's, you just go and ask. So that, you don't, it doesn't matter whether, uh, there's ways to, it's, it's an attitude in your head as the person running the organisation. So ask the audiences the answer. Now we haven't got very much longer to go before um, the wrap up speech. So I want to ask the audience a question. Uh, can anybody put their hands up who has got a specific output they'd like to see occur due to this partnership and set of projects? You sure? <laughs> okay. I'm just not sneaking in a question. Okay, down here in, in, the, um, in the black, please. Hi, I'm Ruth Gould from Dada in Liverpool. We do Disability and Deaf Arts Festival. The output I want to see is that we really, truly put access into everything. I'm finding, um, I'm getting worried because I'm seeing less access happening. People were thinking about subtitling, sign language, audio description. It's getting less because we're moving faster. And I really want to make sure an output is we don't lose that. Disabled people are starting to get a voice through digital media and we've got to keep it right up there and look at creative ways of how we can create art through that as well. Crystal clear, thank you. Anybody else? Yes, here, yeah, chap in the black jacket. Uh, I work with a, a young man who's completely paralysed uh, and all he can do is move his eyes, he can't speak. And working with him, we produce a radio show, and he's done nine shows already. It's on a community radio station in Exeter. 
And he's got quite a nice audience. It's, it's international. We can look on the stats. But actually getting that out, his name's called DJ iTech. I, he uses a computer that uses eye tracking software. It's amazing. You know, how do we get that out? Is, has anybody got any sort of solutions to that? Yes. Well, let's have yeah. it. Go on. Let's have your solution. That'd be great. Um, Jane Anderson from Audio Music. I have got a solution to that, actually. I've just given you... As a BBC, you, right? As a BBC, yeah. yeah. I've just given you a, somebody's name, <laughs> and there you should go and talk to them. <laughs> and I think Jackie is the other person who's yeah. absolutely part of that. And I'd say we don't need a whole initiative to achieve that. It's just saying, there's the email, go for it. Thank you, Jane. Last one, and then we've got to wrap up just down here. I would just ask that in the thinking about this, that we ask ourselves some questions just to what do we want out of it? And for me, that would be how do we ensure with all of the new internet television stuff, how do we ensure that children don't think that what they're watching coming through the TV is theater? Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. I've now, what? Oh, okay, Jane. <laughs> Let's have it. Um, all of the learning that is happening in these five workshops, which will have limited number of people on, there are loads of digital networks to share that. So let's have a commitment to sharing it in really structured, really practical, simple, bite-sized pieces. Well, this session is going to be available on the Arts Council website. Kim, will be further sessions be available on the website as well? So I think... I, I kind of mean more, by, just more accessible than that, because it's... That's the, boil it down. Write, write it up. You know, you've, there's a lot of writers at the BBC. Get someone to blog it in a thousand words. I'll each, let you each and Ronnie talk about that afterwards. That sounds great. Um, one of the shortcomings <laughs> of... Hey, what Bill's going to do. Well, thank you, Bill. One of the shortcomings of uh, digital media is sitting in front of me, which is we've got... Uh, people have twittered a bunch of questions, which is great, but I can't read them because somebody's written out in longhand. So we'll just uh, have to pass on those. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, I think it's been great fun. The panel has been wonderful. Could you please give them a round of applause?